Hey, if you're a workplace coach or work in HR or anyone working with challenging conflict situations at work, we've created a coaching method that any coach can learn. The goal of New Ways for Work Coaching is to help employees or whoever is taking it to learn personal relationship skills for productive relationships. Essentially, it gives employees a chance to learn new skills and to change before big decisions are made about their employment. Sometimes they're just lacking skills and New Ways will teach them. If you'd like to know more about it, we offer our New Ways for Work coaching training two to three times a year. And these trainings are a combination of on-demand, which you can watch 24-7, and Zoom training with Sherilyn Knapp and Bill Eddy on the on-demand portions. You'll find the link for this in the show notes below. Sign up at highconflictinstitute.com forward slash upcoming dash courses or email us at info at highconflictinstitute.com. Welcome to It's All Your Fault on True Story FM, the one and only podcast dedicated to helping you identify and deal with the most challenging humans, people with high conflict personalities. I'm Megan Hunter, and I'm here with my co-host, Bill Eddy. Hi, everybody. We are the co-founders of the High Conflict Institute in San Diego, California. In today's episode, we continue our Dating Radar series, and this time we're going to focus on how to identify your own blind spots. But first, we have a few quick reminders. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know if you've dealt with a high-conflict situation, you know, been blamed, been a target of blame, experienced violence or abuse from someone with a high-conflict personality, or maybe you simply dread seeing that person again, uh, but you probably have to tonight at home or tomorrow at work. So send us your questions and we might discuss them on the show. You can submit them by clicking the submit a question button at our website, highconflictinstitute.com slash podcast, emailing us at podcast at highconflictinstitute.com or dropping us a note on any of our socials. You can find all the show notes and links at highconflictinstitute.com slash podcast as well. Make sure you subscribe, rate and review, and please tell all your friends about us. Telling just one person that you like the show and where they can find it is the best way you can help us out and help more people learn how to address high conflict people. We appreciate this very much and we appreciate you. And now we're going to talk about identifying your own blind spots. First, wouldn't it be great to have x-ray vision to avoid toxic relationships? And, And then on top of that, Wouldn't it be nice to have an internal virus scan that could help you identify your own blind spots when you're looking for love, when you've swiped right and, you know, you're in that dating relationship like, what do I do? Do I, is this a good person or not? So um, the subtitle of our book, Dating Radar, is why your brain says yes to the one who will make your life hell. Um. And that combined with the the cover of our book, which is a heart shaped trap, like a bear trap, <laughs> it, it's it's kind of I suppose a little bit disconcerting. But we did it that way because romantic relationships with HCPs really can be hell. They're tough. So the subtitle came about after years of hearing endless stories of people who. Um, said that they'd met the one, only to discover later that they were in a very, very deep, dark hole with few or no options of getting out. And at this stage, 
most people have already had kids together, bought a house together, started a business together, co-mingled assets, something that ties them together forever or makes their immediate future a living hell through court battles, financial loss, and for some, even time behind bars. Yes, it's true. (laughs) So we wrote the book to help prevent these types of outcomes. But let's focus uh, today on why our brain says yes to that one by looking at our own blind spots. And we're going to do this because, you know, when the brain says yes to the one that is so obviously, you know, damaging from an outside perspective, you know, we need to understand that. Like, why, why does our brain do that? So people who end up in relationships with high conflict people aren't stupid, but they just don't see what they need to see when they need to see it. This isn't about lack of intelligence. Um, These blind spots are really just lapses in judgment or discernment that any of us can have. But if you know you have blind spots and you know where they are, you can compensate for them just as you would before changing lanes on the freeway. So we can put most of our blind spots into three general categories. One, low self-esteem. Two, loneliness or grieving. And three, naive naive beliefs. So Bill, let's start with low self-esteem. Why or how is this a blind spot? Well, it's interesting, really, at all ages, because we wrote this book for all ages. Could be teenagers beginning dating, young people in their 20s, on up to people who are getting divorced in their 50s or 60s. Uh, so what any period of time, you know, life has its ups and downs. And when we have our downtimes, it's a question of how much do we blame ourselves? Is it bad luck or, you know, is there something wrong with us? And a lot of us feel some of the time like, you know, we're not worthy or there's something wrong with us or why, why would that person I'm attracted to go for somebody like me? And so low self-esteem really can affect not only your expectations, but also your behavior. So you may put out singles that you can take advantage of me because I don't feel like I have many choices, things like that. Also, people coming out of, say, a relationship with domestic violence or verbal abuse have often really had their self-esteem lowered because of those experiences. So all of that, you know, can make you aim low and make you act low, and that may set you up for someone that's looking for somebody super vulnerable. Oh, yeah, we don't want to aim low, do we? And and that's exactly how we get there. Now, the next one is loneliness and and or grieving. And this one is is probably a bit more obvious, but What is it about loneliness or grieving that that make us more vulnerable? Well, I think if someone's been in a good relationship or a a hopeful relationship and it ends either through death of a partner sometimes or divorce where there's loss of the dream, then people are grieving that dream. They're grieving the loss, death of a loved one, death of the, the dream, and suddenly they're lonely. And so there's often the feeling that, you know, I really have to have somebody to complete myself. 
I'm not okay just being alone. And so when you're looking for someone to take care of loneliness and take care of grieving, you're at a more vulnerable place for getting hooked into, again, someone who might be wanting to take advantage, someone who's out of balance themselves. And in many ways, the solution is get some counseling, work on yourself so you feel whole before you're looking for somebody else. And so you're a whole person looking for another whole person. And one thing we know about people with high conflict personalities is they live life generally out of balance. They're highly emotional in many ways and lack a lot of self-restraints. And so they're almost looking for a partner who will ground them and help settle them down, except it doesn't work that way. So you want to take care of loneliness and grieving before you're dating. Um, otherwise, you're setting yourself up for potential difficulties. And as one survey respondent uh, advised Quote, accept that being alone is better than being abused and lonely. I, I think that that really says it all. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. So the last of the three is uh, naive beliefs. What does this mean and, and how does this make us vulnerable? Well, this is really very interesting because this is where we're dealing almost with the opposite of what the culture tells us. Because the culture tells us time and love will heal all problems. And when you're dealing with a high-conflict person, they often have an enduring pattern of behavior. And so time and love aren't going to have an impact on how they behave. And if they're blaming and accusing and, and emotionally ups and downs, um, you're not going to change that just letting time and love go by. Another one is the um, that you can change them, you know. And it's interesting. I've I've heard for years that um, when men get married, that we hope the woman will never change, and that when women get married, they hope the man will change. And uh, many men also try to change the woman. And the reality is you're not going to change the person. And they might even suggest that you make them a better person. And that's flattering. But that's not true. You don't change someone's adult personality. They have to do that. And rarely do people do that. It's not impossible. And I want to mention briefly here, we're not saying these are people who should never have happiness, you know, high-conflict people. It may be that this motivates them, that your setting limits or splitting up motivates them to get some help for themselves. We want them to be happy, too, and learn skills for getting along better. But we don't want you to have to be their therapist. That's something their therapist should work on. The last of these naive beliefs is mistaking warning signs for love. And that's where you get someone's obsessive behavior. Oh, isn't that sweet? He calls me every hour and asks what I'm doing and where I am. Well, that's someone that's that's going to potentially be quite controlling someday or stalking you. And, and you go, oh, isn't that sweet? He followed me where I went yesterday or he, he cares so much. Well, obsessive love is a warning sign not a healthy sign, and so need to be aware of, of these naive beliefs. Right. I mean, they may be 
you know, needing to, to, to feel connected so badly and feel attached. Um, and, and the, you know, that fear of abandonment or something like that, that, you know, they will kind of stalk others and, um, we, we can mistake those things sometimes. So just very much, uh, be aware of those <laughs> and see these things as red flags or at least something to be explored and be cautious about. And I, I know you don't watch a ton of TV, Bill, but I do. <laughs> and especially reality TV, as our listeners know, I always say I have a PhD in reality TV. But what I've seen in the relationship shows like 90 Day Fiance and Catfish uh, in particular, it's, you know, the internet and uh, dating apps and social media have really opened the door for high conflict people to um, get to people who are naive, who are lonely, who are grieving all of these, right? Because, you know, you've got someone sitting in the middle of, you know, a small town and middle America and they're lonely, you know, maybe they're divorced and they're naive about people who, you know, do want to take advantage of them or have any of these other characteristics, high conflict characteristics. And so I see repeatedly um, on these shows that these folks are just so naive and they get conned right? Or they get their hearts broken, um, just really shattered in a million pieces, and they just keep kind of getting strung along. So um, if you're one of those that <laughs> is is really na- naive or, or lonely or grieving, just watch a few episodes of, of Catfish or 90 Day Fiance, and um, <laughs> you'll get some some education. So now let's let's move on to mistaking warning signs for love. And I know you mentioned this a bit, Bill. But, you know, music and movies and TV dramas teach us to regard certain dating behaviors as expressions of devotion, um, like the stalking. And, you know, these same tendencies are actually harmful in the hands of, of HC, some HCPs, right? Um, extreme behavior like that constant texting or showing up uninvited or stalking really can be misinterpreted as signs of love. But it is, you know, a, a a warning sign of a pattern of extreme behavior. Uh, the one thing we haven't touched on with that is is jealousy. Uh, some think of jealousy as maybe something minor and to be tolerated, but is that true? And if if not, when does when does jealousy become a problem? Well, I think for people with high conflict personalities that they're they're very threatened by who else you're interested in and they're used to being abandoned um disregarded uh disrespected all of these things so if they get someone who's kind of willing to tolerate them they're going to want to hold on to that person and so what you see often is is the jealousy is a piece of the power and control uh, or con- coercive control that we see in domestic violence relationships, which often doesn't show up the first five or six months, but usually within a year. That's why we say, wait a year. That's why I say, wait a year before you make the big commitment to getting married, having a child, buying a house. But it's it's a pattern that, that usually will reveal itself eventually and hints of that, like you get a cringe feeling, is something to pay attention to because this is so common 
uh, with high conflict people that they really they don't want to lose someone who's willing to to tolerate their behavior. Um, and it can be very passionate and and seem like, oh, you know, he's so jealous I talked to a man or a woman at lunchtime at the office. Isn't that sweet? Well, you know, healthy relationships aren't threatened by you having lunch with somebody at the office unless you're putting out hints that you're wanting to change relationships. But otherwise, routine, normal uh, behavior, if they're jealous of that, they're going to try to isolate you. And that's another aspect of uh, these controlling relationships. So jealousy is a warning sign. I was thinking while you were talking about some of the situations we've heard um, about from clients and customers of 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 jealousy, and some of them are, are, are so extreme. Um, and uh, for example, being jealous of their partner's pet. I, I, it's, it's, it's really, um, kind of fascinating <laughs> to see, but they're just, they, they, they feel either disrespected or abandoned. Um, even when, when their partner seems to pay attention to the pet, it also could be the cell phone, you know, substitute, fill in the blank. Um, it could be a relationship with your parents, with your siblings, with a, a friend. Um, so you really have to, to pay attention to these things and, and realize that, you know, the person, you know, they're not a bad person because they feel this way, but they may not be the person for you because they're not ready. <laughs> they're not ready to be in a relationship. Um, now, in our survey, we found that the majority of respondents believed that even if they saw red flags in the relationship, they thought the person would change with time. I guess we weren't necessarily surprised by that. I, I think that's probably pretty normal for a lot of people. But I'm curious, Bill, why do, does our brain do this? Well, I think part of it is our wishful thinking that we really want this to work okay. And there may be, and there's often early signs in the relationship of great intimacy, excitement, affection, etc., but then you get the negative parts and you think, well, you know, with time, the positive parts will win out. So, you know, we'll just we'll just hope that this uh, other problem um, goes away. And so, you know, that's why we say, you know, the subtitle of the book, it's our brain. Our brain's kind of working for us and working against us. Because there's all these temptations. Our brain wants us to be with whoever we're with. And that goes back, you know, millennia, I guess, um, earlier times when if you found somebody that worked out, you better hold on to them and uh, reproduce as quickly as you can. Um, so I think in a way, our brains are programmed to get along even even when there's setbacks. And, and I might mention, this is a good place to mention, that the chemicals in the brain want us to, to be with the people we're around. Like dopamine is one that gets us excited, especially interested in sex and drives us to have sex. Oxytocin is kind of the warm, fuzzy, you know, the love the love hormone for adult relationships as well as parenting kids. 
And these go through our brain and make us a little more warm and fuzzy. And then there's endorphins that give us a peaceful, euphoric bliss. And all of these chemicals are pumping away saying, you know, go with this. Um, but we now have knowledge of patterns of behavior that cause problems. And so when you see warning signs, it's good to know you, you may be dealing with someone that's not going to change and the problems you see are going to be the problems you're going to get and wishful thinking won't fix that. We also found that the majority of respondents believed they could change the person. <laughs> and I, I think you'd also call that wishful thinking, Bill. But why does the brain convince us that we can influence this person enough to, to change who they are or how they treat us? Well, we like feeling special and feeling like, hey, I'm the only one that gets it with this person. I'm the only one that can change them. And I'm going to be a hero and this is men feel this and women feel this. And it's like, I'm going to fix her. And in fact, I think of uh, one of the quotes, person says, I came to the realization that having grown up in an alcoholic family, I had a codependent personality and I was going to fix her. And I just think that's that's so classic, especially if you've been in the role of being a fixer for the family or people at work. Um, it's a tempting role. I also think it's kind of a little bit of our cultural narcissism. We like to think we're really special and can accomplish things no one else can. Well, don't don't try to accomplish it in the area of changing somebody else's personality. Yeah, you know, as you were talking, Bill, I, I thought of a recent case that was huge in the news in, in 2021, and it was the Gabby Petito um, and Brian, I, I don't recall his last name, that case where the young couple were traveling together around the U.S. Right. And, um, I mean, talk about a toxic relationship. And I remember... Seeing, you know, when when at first the young lady was was in missing status, and the country, you know, was was looking for her, and everyone was kind of on the edge of their seats, and not just in this country, but really around the world. I heard from people from many different countries about it, and um, I recall seeing those videos of the stop, um, by the uh, state patrolman. I believe it was in Utah. Yes, and you know, I think the immediate bias was that, you know, the, the guy, the boyfriend is a bad guy just because there's a problem. And I looked at it a little bit differently and I'm looking at the young lady and I have no idea because, you know, we, we're not diagnosing anyone. We're not uh, labeling where we're, we don't know what happened before that or, or anything. But I like to see, I like to, to understand really if, if there are issues on on both sides, and I, I think probably in this case there were. Did did you have any of those same thoughts? Yeah, what what I thought because we were working on our domestic violence interviews during that time, and what I thought was here's a guy who's I mean they met in high school, so they're young, in love, naive. And he seemed to be going through some mental health changes. And some people said he seemed to be, you know, odd in some ways at times. But what stood out to me is that he had obsessive love with her and that he wrote things to her and was taking her picture all the time. And, and that that's a warning sign, the obsessive love. 
Um, but what struck me about that, uh, the, the state police uh, stopping them, is that she was in tears and said, it's my fault. Um, and they said, who started hitting? And, and she says, I did. And this is so common for victims of domestic violence to take responsibility for the situation. And so the police actually said, I think that they need to take her in and they got him a hotel for the night. Because technically speaking, they were correct. She was the instigator. Then that would be the case. But if you saw the big picture, here's someone, of course, bigger than her, who was apparently already becoming violent with her. And they're isolated. And that's a key thing to me. When we say don't don't make commitments for a year, I would say don't go on any cross-country trips alone uh, for at least uh -huh. a year because you don't know what this person's capable of. And if they get upset over and over, they may not be able to control themselves. And she's isolated. So, of course, she's going to make excuses for him and not protect herself. I mean, she could have gotten out at that point. And I think Pastor, somebody saw him hitting her. So there obviously was a problem, but she covered up and made it look okay. So that that pattern, if you're a bystander, is realize things aren't always as they seem when one person says, it's all my fault. Interesting. Yeah, it was just a, a sad and tragic outcome uh, for both both people and their families. And I just hope that other young people were paying attention yes. to that, <laughs> honestly. And, and you know, it also brings up the thought about arranged marriage. And I, I, I know that most people would think that's a ridiculous notion, at least in, um, you know, modern culture. But I really wish that more parents uh, with wisdom <laughs> um, could have input into the, you know, marriage and partnership choices of their, their um, you know, young adult children. It's an interesting concept. And I've, I've thought, I've been struck by the fact that in our culture, Western culture, we base love on who we should marry. And that Eastern cultures, uh, India and, and other countries with arranged marriages, you know, I wondered a while back, how did those turn out? And by and large, they turn out fine. And so love may not be the answer. You may grow in love with someone who you've just met on your wedding day <laughs> or yeah. however it works. And most of those have worked. But there's a key piece in here, and that is that the parents of the bride and groom do some checking out of the other family and of the other person. And uh, I was once on a trip in uh, Tanzania, and they they do that there to some extent, and they really check out the other family. And with high-conflict people, they have a reputation in their family, but today, you know, in the United States and other Western countries, you often don't know the family, don't know the history, and you're marrying based on chemicals and love and may be totally caught and blindsided 
So I think arranged marriages certainly aren't having a worse success rate, and they may have a better success rate. Yeah, and part of it could be, you know, uh, expectations as well. You know, kind of your mindset. If you're from a culture with arranged marriage, you you just know that you this is how it is. And so you don't have this expectation, perhaps, of the, you know, falling madly in love and the the wedding and the ring and all the things that we in Western cultures have as our places, our highest value in many cases. So, you know, maybe there's a, an in-between. <laughs> but because we don't have that in-between, that's why we wrote this book, Dating Radar. Um, now, let's kind of put it all together. And, you know, these three episodes, we've just barely scratched the surface about, you know, the dangers of, of high conflict relationships, but we've talked about warning signs, also the ways they can jam your radar and then where your own blind spots might be. So Bill, what are your last suggestions for kind of putting it all together? Well, maybe more of a summary here is think about noticing warning signs of high-conflict personalities. And these aren't bad people, evil people. These are people who may be quite successful. These can be um, actors and actresses. These can be company heads. Um, these can be truck drivers, plumbers, anybody. Um, every occupation has some high-conflict people. And we think of them as high-conflict because they have targets of blame. And so they're in conflict with their targets of blame, and you don't want to become their primary target of blame. And so in, in order to watch out for that, we talked about patterns of behavior, you know, narcissists with extreme self-centeredness, uh, antisocials who lie about where they are and where they're going, um, people with borderline personality types, um, maybe very controlling, fearful of abandonment so that there's more clinging. And that's that gets quite uncomfortable and sometimes turns into domestic violence in order to have coercive control over their partner. And then uh, histrionic, dramatic personalities, paranoid personalities, always suspicious of what you're up to. So that's the personality, you know, get familiar with some patterns because they're so predictable. Those are the same patterns worldwide. And like I said, we're not out to make their lives miserable, but we don't want your life to be miserable. We'd rather them learn and change. And the second thing, then, that we've really emphasized is how they jam your radar. And this was the charm. All of these could be an okay relationship, but they're warning signs to check out. And the survey, and we had over 600 people, I think you said, Megan, that mm -hmm. responded to that. Oh, and by the way, can they still respond to the survey? Yes, they can. And the, the, the link's in the show notes. Great. Okay. Dating-radar.com. So charm, they also reported this fake compatibility. Um, and I think there was another phrase that you used with this in here, Megan. But anyway, I think of it as fake compatibility because they pretend that they're interested in what you're interested in. And this is much more common than we realized. Then the overt sex and sensuality. And they're often in a hurry and people feel uncomfortable. It's like, I don't want to have sex yet, but I don't want to lose this nice person. Well, you should be yourself. And if you're not comfortable, that should be an important part of decision making. 
Don't just try to please the other person. And protectiveness, um, that, that you're gonna, they're going to be your hero. They're going to take care of you. And that could be a man or a woman who says, oh, I'll fix all your problems. I'll, I'll take care of you. I'll do this and that for you. I'll protect you. Yeah. And so this, the knight in shining armor, um, often turns out to be someone that has to be taken care of. So, and has various problems. And tiptoed around. <laughs> yes, yes. So this is what jams your radar. And of course, you want to have a healthy skepticism. Uh, take your time. Watch for extremes for these. And, and I think one, one feedback we got on the survey I loved was a person said, don't look for a 10. On a scale of 1 to 10, look for a 7 or an 8, because the 10s probably aren't true. They're too good to be true. They look too good. So get somebody who's real, has some imperfections, some blemishes, who's a 7 or an 8 on that scale of 1 to 10. Then your blind spots, and that's what we've talked about today, low self-esteem, loneliness and grieving, become a whole person before you go back into the dating world so that you're not vulnerable to people that are out of balance themselves. And then, of course, the naive cultural beliefs. And I just think of all these songs, I will follow you wherever you may go, <laughs> <laughs> or I'll be watching you. I think there was that song, Sting <laughs> or Sting, something. I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I suddenly put those in a different perspective. Uh, you and we, I know too much. <laughs> I know. <laughs> a good song. Oh, well, the tune was good. Yeah. Um, but these kinds of things that... That obsessive behavior may be a warning sign, not love. Time and love doesn't change personalities, uh, at least personality disorders, and you can't change another person. So in summary, I think those three things, recognize warning signs, watch out that your radar isn't jammed, and don't be blinded by your own blind spots. What was the quote you uh, from the book that you oh yeah mentioned? So so we put this all together near the end. So we talk about these characteristics. Then we said, add some naive beliefs about people changing their extremely bad behavior. Add sex if you haven't already. Add the alleviation of loneliness and grieving. It feels even more right. And now you have the trifecta of a perfect relationship nirvana, a recipe for happily ever after, except you know it's actually a recipe for disaster. Yep, there it is. So watch out for those beliefs. Right, that's it. We also say in the book is that there are healthy relationship signs and that there's things that make for healthy relationships so that we're not just saying this is what doesn't work. We also want people to know what does work. And we're also talking about maybe 10% of people, but 90% of people you can have a happy relationship with. So I want to make sure you understand our book covers the positive as well as the warning signs. Right. And uh, not every relationship 
is going to be this, you know, as extreme as, as, as violence or, you know, even death, but, you know, it could be. So yeah, we would, we just want to warn you and then help you, you know, find good, good relationships. So if, you know, if you are dating someone or if you know someone who needs dating radar, um, they really need to read this book. And we're not trying to, you know, push this book. It, it sells plenty of copies. So um, it's not that. It's just that we really want to help you <laughs> or anyone you know not have to endure this kind of pain. It's it's pretty awful stuff. Um, so reading it, you know, is probably a nearly surefire way to avoid future difficulties, um, such as, you know, years in a high conflict divorce and a, an expensive and soul destroying custody battle or a lot of financial loss and other kind of losses. But at the end of the day, it's it's really how you can avoid having your heart broken and the resulting loss of confidence in your decisions and loss of trust in other people, which is what happens with high conflict relationships. So you'll find a link to the book, which is available in paperback, ebook, and audio, um, along with some articles and a link to a domestic violence course, the one Bill mentioned, um, there where he and um, Annette Burns and Karen Adam uh, interviewed 16 domestic violence experts. So it's it's just a good one for anyone. So listen in next week when we wrap up the Dating Radar series, where we'll be taking um, listener questions about Dating Radar. And you can send those questions to podcast at highconflictinstitute.com or submit them to highconflictinstitute.com slash podcast. Tell your friends about us, please. And we'd be very grateful if you'd leave a review wherever you listen to our podcast. Um, until next episode, have a great week and keep learning about high conflict behavior so you can avoid it in your life. It's All Your Fault is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. Music by Wolf Samuels, John Coggins, and Ziv Moran. Find the show, show notes, and transcripts at truestory.fm or highconflictinstitute.com slash podcast. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. Our show.